Welcome everyone, my name is Aaron Darko and today we have our special guest, Hanley Hofer. Hello. <laughs> and Hanley is a model, actress and a presenter and she works for MTV Asia, HBO Asia and Vice. And we're going to get into a lot of topics today, of course on her acting career, her modeling career, how she became a presenter and also how she's working with her personal brand how she's been able to build that up and amass a huge following and become a celebrity in her own right. So it's going to be a very interesting conversation. And Hanley, thanks for coming on the show. I am so excited to <laughs> be a guest on this show. And also, thank you for such an illustrious intro. It's always weird to hear about yourself in that sense, isn't it? Like when someone tells you what you've done, you're kind of like, oh, yeah. Yeah. What? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah so take us back. So. You're from Singapore. So I am Singaporean German. Okay. I grew up in Singapore. I'm one of those international kids, mm. third culture kid, whatever label people want to call it. Um, I have this, you know, international school accent, but I've never lived outside of Asia. I'm half German on paper, but I identify pretty much fully as Asian. So, <laughs> <laughs> so already from my origin story is complicated. But you sound so American. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh my God. No. I know. I hate it. And I always feel like I, I under, I, people are always like, oh, you sound American because you watch so much TV growing up, which is kind of true, yeah. but rude for pointing out. Now, I don't know why we all sort of ended up with this accent or like some of them have like a more Brit British twang. You've yeah. met a bunch of international like kids, adults, yeah. right? My theory is that they just learned from American teachers, so they just pick up that accent mm -hmm. along the way. Yeah. Like you went to school in, in Singapore, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess it does make sense. Like our teachers were um, all, you know, foreign and all yeah. the media that we digested, it was basically American or British. That's mm. what their biggest export is, right? Like yeah. entertainment. Yeah. So yeah, it made sense. So, so you grew up in Singapore? Yes. So what's that like growing up in a, such a strict country? Right? Well, it obviously has its amazing benefits, like Singapore, Singapore is just cool, you know, like mm. it's one of the cleanest nations in the world. It's definitely the safest, no doubt. I mean, as a woman, I can walk through the streets at 3 a.m. by myself wearing whatever I wanted, like, you know, all my jewelry. And I know that I'll get home safe. Mm. That doesn't happen for a majority of the world like we are very blessed to have that level of safety mm. um and i think culturally you know singapore is made up of four um, primary cultures we don't actually attach to one main culture we're chinese malay indian and then they call it others because it's just such a melting pot people like me <laughs> but yeah what's up? i'm also other you know the others um so we're also like so diverse with our culture and you know we've got amazing food we've got incredible architecture we're but then again the downside of it is that we're a very um strict and structured nation but hey some people like that some people like structure you know mm. So did you get structure from, from that then as growing up or what were you like growing up? So I don't know. I think I, in terms of structure, it def like having growing up in a structured environment is great, right? Stability, everything that a kid needs in that element and that aspect, like everything's very reliable. Mm -hmm. um, I think also the way that, well, so my father's German 
another structured mm. nation. Yeah. And my mother, she is Singaporean, but they were, they're both very creative people. Mm. So it, it's interesting. I had this mix of, um, routine structure and, you know, everything that comes with that. And then I had this um, openness from their perspective of the world. You know, my mother's a writer. She worked in fashion. Uh, she's like a journalist. She's very creative. And my father, he's a publisher and a photographer and an artist. So growing up, yeah, I had this really great balance of both. And I guess it kind of gave me the best of both worlds, right? I could be, you know, regimented one day and then very fluid the next. So, yeah. Mm. So were you a, were you creative then as a kid? Because your your parents both in creative vocations, so yeah, did that lend itself to your creativity as well. I'd say I was quite a creative kid. Yeah. Um, there's a huge irony to how I ended up working in television and media because my father didn't actually allow my brother and I to watch TV. Oh, yeah, right. He was. We didn't have cable growing up, and he had this rule where if the sun is out, the screens are off. So we were forced to play outside and, and just, you know, that old school, even mm. though I'm not that old, but that old school, like screen free way of being raised, yeah. which just allowed my brother and I to tap into our own imagination. So I think because of that, yeah, I'd say I was and still am quite creative. Mm. So the sun is out, screens, screens away. Screens right? are off. Screens are off. Yeah. That's a cool, that's a cool, uh, things for someone watching like if they're a parent to implement with their ch children do you think that that's possible these days to do with kids um yes i do think so yeah um i think for for kids these days it'll be hard for them to like figure out what to do because they're so used to being on their screen like my my baby brother's well he's seven years old now and he's just so used to being on his ipad that if if this if you enforce that rule into the household then he'll be like all right what do i do now you know? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And at the same time, it's like, well, I mean, the screen takes out a lot of um, headache and pressure and, and just saves the parents a lot of energy mm. when they need to keep their kids entertained or just a bit quiet when they're out. But I don't know. I feel like in like in an ideal sense, I would love to, to pass that on if I ever have kids to mm. keep their creativity fresh and young yeah. and pure. But it makes me wonder if that's something that we can really do in this age. Mm. Mm. I think uh, that's a, that's such a tough thing to do because most parents, like, I think most parents haven't dealt with their own trauma. Mm. So, you know, a loud, a loud kid is a, is a, they judge that as a bad thing. Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, my kid's being loud or he's talking about some crazy idea that like his imagination is going so wild. He just needs to shut the fuck up. I'm going to give him the, the iPad. Yeah, <laughs> they can't handle it because they haven't processed their own. Yeah. Oh my God, the iPads were really like, I feel like okay, going off tangent, but I feel like to a degree, the inter I we grew up raised half by the internet, yeah. right? Like Google taught me more in my life mm, <laughs> than a sure. lot, Real right? Talk. Real talk. Real talk. <laughs> <laughs> so in the future, I just, it's almost like, I don't think there can be a, a childhood or a system where the kids don't have access to screens that often. I don't know. We're not parents. We don't yeah. know yet, do yeah, we? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We don't know. We're just speculating out mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So, okay, so what were you, were you always interested in the, the, the modeling world, at being an actress, presenting? Were you always interested in that? Um, I'd say yes, mm -hmm. but I didn't realize that it's something that I was um, as keen about until 
I was in the world, right? So um, I started modeling at a young age. Um, and that was really just to make some pocket money, right? Mm. I was straight out of school and I'm like, oh, I'll try modeling. I can make some money from it. Um, and then I, I realized that actually I, I was quite natural in front of the camera because my father's a photographer. And so this whole, you know, being comfortable in front of a lens came quite easy to me because my whole life, my dad did that, right? And so- You were the so, model for his photos? And yeah, it's just like, you know, when your father's a photographer, I don't know if anyone else out there has experienced it or a parent, maybe now everyone's a photographer, but back then my dad would always be trying to push a camera in my brother in my face, just trying to capture the moments. <laughs> so because of that, modeling came quite easy. And then, um, you know, I, I'm not a shy personality and, and back then, um, when I was a teenager, I was even more out there than I am now. And, and I guess the combination of, you know, entertainment um, and needing to have this sort of energy. TV presenting qu came quite naturally to me. Um, and I auditioned for the MTV role when I was like 21. And then I got that and it really changed my life. Mm. Wow. So, so you started out modeling when you were 19. 18, 19, 18. yeah. So you just graduated or you were in your college or? I was in my gap year. Oh, okay. Yeah. Ah, so you got that inspiration during your gap year to become a model. Yeah, because I was broke. <laughs> <laughs> Tell it like it is. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. it, wasn't, wasn't, it wasn't my calling. Yeah, I just yeah. needed some cashish, man. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, and so you got into modeling and then you enjoyed it. You felt like it was natural to you. Mm -hmm. And then from there, did you, did your eyes light up and like, ah, oh, this is my path now? Uh, yeah, I think, I think to a degree. Yeah. I mean, I, the few moments that I got to watch TV when I was a teenager, like all of us millennials, we would go home and watch MTV, right? Mm. Or something like that. I don't know each to their own, but so many of us watched MTV and I would watch the VJs on the screen, the presenters and this little spark in me was like, oh my God, I could do that. Um, and I have a friend and she told me that when I was like 16, she was like, what do you want to do? And I said, as a joke, oh, I want to be an MTV VJ one day. I didn't think it actually happened, mm. but then it did. It just sort of worked out, huh? Oh, so you were, you were modeling and then you, you had that spark to go and be a VJ, which what, what does that actually stand for, by the way? Yeah. So VJ stands for video jockey. Okay. Yeah. It's, right. it's very generational. Ah, that basically means a presenter. It was specific to music television channels, okay. like Channel V, MTV, because mm. um, they would play music videos all the time, right? Mm -hmm. And instead of a disc jockey, it would be video jockey. Mm. Mm. So when you applied to, for the MTV role, what were you thinking? Were you thinking, I'm going to get this job? Or were you just like, oh, let's see what happens? What was uh, going through your mind? It was, I'll see what happens. Mm. Yeah. And then, it, and then it happened. And what, were you, what was the reaction like? Like, you must have been over the moon. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it, of course. It's like, it was the job that I had always secretly dreamt about. Mm. It was the job that I grew up seeing on TV. It was like the coolest job ever, right? You're going to work for MTV Asia and your job is going to be like interviewing celebrities, musicians and artists, going to all the festivals in the world, hosting some really cool shows and talking about content that you're actually interested because in, I'm a huge music buff, right? Mm -hmm. I'm like, this is the dream. So yeah, I mean, I think that it's one of like the more, the most defining moments in my young life is, is really landing a job like that because it mm -hmm. opened all the doors to everything else for me. Mm. So without that, 
you wouldn't be here right now. Wouldn't be on your podcast. Wow. So wouldn't you, was you overwhelmed as well? Like you must have, of course you were like elated, right? It was the most amazing thing that could happen at that time. Mm. But was there any feelings of like, oh shit, now I got to like perform in front of all these people. You know, what's interesting. And I don't know if you relate with this, but I, I used to be so much more confident when I was younger because I was just like going through life with just such a high vibrating energy of like, I'm going to try everything. I'm going to be such a yes man. I'm going to just take risks and do challenges. If it scares me, I'm going to throw myself at it. I was almost in that sense, like almost adrenaline seeking that failing was not a fear for me because I just had to do it. Whereas yeah. now when I'm, you know, I'm turning 30 this year, I'm not as brave as I used to be. So this whole feeling of imposter syndrome or self-doubt, it only really crept up on me in the last five, six years, but 10, 12 years ago, hell no. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> what about you? Did you feel like you were more um, reckless back then? I can relate then? to that. I can relate to that yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm curious though, for you, what, what, what is it that makes you not as brave as you once was? Oh, well, I think life has humbled me, <laughs> right? Um, I've gained a lot more self-awareness since then, for sure. And I think that when your, when your perspective shifts and your self-awareness rises, so do all the, everything that comes with it, right? Your, your inner voice gets smarter, your ego gets trickier, and suddenly you're dealing with more thoughts than, than your younger self would have. And, and so I think that's it. It's just age and life, right? Mm. Do you think it's also because you have something to, maybe you have something to lose now, whereas before you didn't? Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd, sh I'd say that that's also it too. Yeah, because yeah. like, you've been working so hard in this space for what a decade, almost a decade now. Mm. And now you've made a name for yourself. And now it's like, well, if I do certain things, then I sometimes if you do the wrong thing, maybe it can have an adverse effect on you. It's almost like the older we get, does the fear of failure get stronger? Mm. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Do you feel that? I'd say, I'd say... Yes, because like you said, you feel like you have more to lose. Mm. Maybe your perception of self is you kind of feel very comfortable with where you're at. And so changing who you are just sounds scary. You're mm. like, I've spent so long building an identity. What do you yeah. mean change it? Right. What are we talking about? Like I mm. have my habits and, and they're, they're here, right? Mm. Um, so maybe. Also the money side too, like you're comfortable now. You don't need yeah. to be that 18 year old Hanley who was like, I just need to make some money. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly, for sure. <laughs> so working at MTV, what did you, what was the biggest takeaways from learn, from working there? Um, well, that's a big question. So I did that role for about five to six years and I hosted uh, two weekly shows, MTV News, The MTV Show. And I interviewed so many different types of people, um, interviewed so many artists. And I guess my biggest takeaway is that I, <laughs> status, fame, power, experience, these are all very admirable things, but they're not things that I hold to a very high value. Mm -hmm. I count your value as who you are as a person and yep. your vibe, yep. right? Yep. That's it. Like, I don't care what you've done, who you, like who you are, mm. like, what's your energy? Like, yep. that's one of the greatest lessons because I was around so many 
big stars, right? A lot of ego. You can imagine these guys rolling up with an entourage and like security and the managers. It's, it's exactly as the movies perceive your big Hollywood stars rolling around with like a squad, right? And there is ego in that, of course. Mm. And when you're a presenter and you're young, you have to look past that because your job is to just connect with them as a host, like you do as a podcaster. Mm. You just need to look past what they are presenting in that, in that sense and just cut to their vibe so that you can connect and just have a good segment. And so my greatest takeaway was that, that, you know, it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done. Like it's your energy and how you treat everyone around you and your humility. And, and that's what people will always remember you by. Mm, absolutely. I, I 100% agree. But for you though, I'm curious, like how did you come to that realization? Like was, was that taught to you or did you just figure that out as you were interviewing all these people? I think I figured it out. Mm. Yeah, there were definite moments where I would be very intimidated um, and then I would just have to, well, I mean, I had a good team at the time yeah. and yeah, they would support me and they would have little pep talks with me to help me get out of my head so that I can present and, and, you know, do my job. Um, yeah. And I, it's something that you just realize more and more through repetition that energy doesn't lie. You mm. know, your vibe is right. Yeah. And so, <laughs> I was going to ask you, I was just thinking about this. I was like, I want her to ask, I want her to name some names. I know, who, right? who, who are these people she's talking about? I know. No. <laughs> <laughs> I will never out the assholes because, <laughs> because they will come for me. No, um, no, I won't name names. Yeah. Were there, were there any uh, big stars from America that came to, to Asia or did you go, have you, you've never been there, right? No, I've been to America. Um, we had a lot of stars come through. Mm. One of my biggest, um, a, a, an interview that was really proud of, it was I did an in-depth interview with the Foo Fighters. Mm. So it was really cool to sit opposite like the whole band and yeah. be like, you guys are genuinely rock stars. This is crazy. Yeah. I interviewed a lot of K-pop stars because they're huge uh, out here in Asia. Yeah. K-pop is next level, man. Like, I, K-pop fans are so diehard that it, it's crazy. I've never seen anything like that. Um, I interviewed a lot of DJs that came through because... Oh, sorry, one sec. What is K-pop for the viewers oh, that are watching? Oh, so K-pop is Korean pop. Okay. Yeah. Cool, cool. Yeah. Just wanted to... Because some people are like, what the fuck's K-pop? Because we're in Asia, right? You we guys know. don't know what K-pop? Come on, <laughs> get with it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've interviewed a lot of DJs that mm -hmm. came through because Singapore was a really big hub for festivals like Zook Out or Ultra. Um... Yeah, it's funny. Every time people ask, like, who are the biggest stars that you interview? It's really hard for me to, like, regurgitate it right now. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, maybe maybe over dinner I'll come back and be like, yeah. this guy, this yeah. woman. So so do you still enjoy doing that now? Interviewing? Yeah. Yeah, I do. You, I mean, for, for the stars, like, in that world. Because I know you have your podcast, just so we're clear. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, to be honest, since I've left MTV I not have access to them because my podcast is just a cute little indie podcast called just so we're clear check it out um, <laughs> so I haven't yet but I, I do get to interview people who I want to interview now mm. and that's a whole different energy mm. um, instead of it being a job it's like oh my god I get to pick this person's brain and that's so cool mm. yeah Versus like, oh God, I got to just talk to this person. He's a dick, but I got to talk to him anyway. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So we've covered your modeling and then you, you started presenting. So um, 
you were you when you started presenting did you realize that you're actually really good at presenting also because you you realized that you're a natural at modeling but mm. did you also feel that way with presenting um uh yeah i guess it's weird to call myself a natural because i guess i had to be in order to get the jobs and roles that i did right mm-hmm. i mean i've worked yeah. with some pretty big um uh, media houses in the past, like MTV is the big one, HBO. Um, I've done specials with Vice, which was my dream. Like mm. I love, I grew up watching Vice because we didn't have TV, so I had YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> Vice was always my dream um, to 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 feature on. So I guess yes, yeah. Mm. So was what was the pathway for? So MTV and then you worked at HBO. Yes. So MTV was the big one. Um, but MTV I did in conjunction with other roles. So, Mm -hmm. uh, live events, modeling still happening. Um, and then vice was not necessarily a recurring role. Um, and HBO, which is now is a recurring role. And of course I'm also, um, a judge on that supermodel show called supermodel me. Right. Yeah. 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 So uh, just on the presenting real quick. So do you, think that you could have a life where you're behind the camera because your whole life's been in front of the camera right Mm. yeah I think so I mean you're around the environment too much you absorb everything that I'm sure I could yeah but is that as fun for you though like would you still be energized as much as you are on camera hmm Yes, because it would be a new challenge, mm. but I guess I'd have to really practice it enough to to have a solid answer to that. I'm helping Emil, my boyfriend, yeah. to everyone who's listening who doesn't know him. Um, I'm helping him do content creation where I'm helping him film. So I'm behind the camera and I know how to do it. I know how to set it up. I know how to time him. I know how to be a director to help him feel comfortable through the experiences of the directors who've helped me be comfortable. Mm. Uh but I, yeah, I, I mean, I still have this little like perfectionist in me mm-hmm. that I guess, okay, what I'm saying is when you're in front of the camera, you are more or less in control, right? Yeah. Because you set the tone, you set the vibe. But when you're behind the camera, you have to work with someone and you have to direct them. And I'm a, I'm a perfectionist. So there are moments where I've noticed myself get like a little perfectionist flare up. And it's interesting. It's still something I'm figuring out if it's something that I want to do. Yeah, I'm just experimenting it right now. So how does that show up then when you're a perfectionist, when you're behind the camera? <laughs> what, what happens? Um, uh, <laughs> it's more like, do it again. No, mm. you can do a better take this time. Say it like this. Yeah, it's, it's a weird control element that <laughs> I'm, I'm really recently learning about myself. And... God, I don't know if I love it. Yeah. Mm. It depends on the talent though, huh? Depends on if the Emil's talent. If Emil's watching, Emil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's also because it's my boyfriend. So yeah, I can like, I can say that. True. If it was a professional setting, I would not be able to talk to someone like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that's an interesting dynamic. So we we're going to touch on your relationship also in a, in a later segment. But I just want to touch on like the the things that have created your career first. Mm-hmm. So okay. so we spoke about presenting and 
what are, what are the tips that you can share that are like the most essential things that someone needs to know in terms of presenting well in front of an audience, a live audience, and mm-hmm. you presented in front of live audiences, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And also just in front of really famous people. Mm. Like, well, what's something that you can do? And, and a whole crew of people in the background. Yeah. On set. Yeah. Um, two things, okay. So firstly, anticipate the nerves. Just accept that you're going to be feeling things. You're going to be feeling so much. Don't try to pretend to be cool. Mm. Don't fake it. There's nothing, like people can spot a faker a mile away. Yeah. So whatever you're feeling, own that. If you're, if you're nervous and you're standing on stage, you can be like, oh God, I got to be honest with you guys. I'm a little nervous right now. Instantly, that humanity is so much more relatable than trying to pretend you're not nervous and then, then it'd be really obvious. Um, so anticipate the nerves, accept that if they happen, they happen. So that in a way, when they do, it doesn't you know, blindside you. Um, and then the other approach that I have to presenting is I have the I have this um, kind of uh, saying where the camera is your cousin that your mom forced you to bring to a party. Ooh, okay, okay, hear me out. I like that. <laughs> so as a host, and this is this is more for video hosting. As a host, your job is to be the middleman to the audience and to the situation that you are reporting on, right? So if you were going to a party. And you know everyone at the party and mm-hmm. you got to bring along your cousin, right? Or some, a friend of yours. And you know how you always need to be cluing them in, letting them, oh, this person is that person. And you just make them feel involved. Do that to the camera. Like make your audience feel like they're your friend and that you got them. You got their back. You're never going to leave them alone at this party. You're there for them. And yeah, I think if people apply that, they can, might feel a difference. Mm, that's a cool insight. I like that. Yeah. I've never heard someone explain how to talk on camera, how to be on camera like that. Yeah. It's so simple. And that, I mean, that's that analogy is so relatable. Yeah. Like you could imagine it right now. Yeah. It's like yeah. you're bringing someone to a space they're unfamiliar with and yet you are, and you just got to be the middleman, glue them in and make them feel involved. Mm. What about the other skills though? Like um, there's a book of theirs called The Art of Empathy. And that's something that I, I know that compassion is one of your values. We'll talk mm-hmm, about that mm-hmm. also. But those soft skills that are really important for connecting because it's one thing to present, but it's another thing to connect. Mm-hmm. So how do you connect with the audience? With an audience? Uh, I don't pretend to be something that I'm not. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's okay. So presenting is, is, is not acting in the sense that you're not really playing a character. You're being yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a performance element to it for sure, but you're not acting, you're being you. Yeah. So again, people relate with people. Human relates, humans relate to humans. Be you. Mm-hmm. I know it's such a like repeated saying, but... That's it. Don't try to be what you see on YouTube. Don't do the, hey, what's up, guys? It's this. Like, everyone does that. You know what I mean? (laughs) Everyone mimics what they think they should be doing when Mm. they're presenting. And they're forgetting that that's done. The only thing that's not done is you. Mm. So just just be yourself. Mm. Yeah. And who are the biggest inspirations for you when it comes to presenting? Like, who did you look up to? Like, oh, they're they're really good at that. Oh, my God. Louis Thoreau. Mm. Jesus. I love him. 
a little too much, but we can talk about that off camera. <laughs> no, Louis Thoreau, because he is such a weirdo, but he never pretended to not be a weirdo, mm. right? And that's why we loved him. Mm. And he was, he was quirky in his own right. Um, who else did I look up to in a presenting world? I don't know. That's the first thing that comes to mind. I think also other people in my field, um, the music jockeys, the radio DJ type personalities. Um, yeah, they definitely influenced the way that I saw or I knew how to relate because I, I watched them growing up and I was like, oh, I could do that somehow. And then, yeah. Mm. That's interesting. That thought that you just said of, oh, I could do that. That's literally what got me into stand-up comedy. Mm. Like I was sitting in the audience, same, same like you, I was like, I can do that. And then that's what got me into it. Yeah. It's literally that thought. Yeah. 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 So it's interesting because when you feel that and you act on it, then you're stepping into like your power because mm -hmm. that's like your, your intuition talking to you, right? It's like, oh, you can do that. Like, and you act on it and you're like, wow, I actually can do yeah, this. Yeah, that spark <laughs> that you feel, the recognition of that in another is actually the recognition that you feel in yourself, mm. right? Yeah. That's like in the movies, right? When, when, we, uh, when we cry, like for example, there's a movie called The Star Is Born. You've probably seen it. What? No. <laughs> you mean the biggest movie of all time? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I heard of it. <laughs> yeah, so that movie, I was just crying my eyes out at the end. Yeah. And it was interesting, the fact that I was crying, because this is just a story that has been played out and it's it's not it's not real but i was i was crying mm. and i was like wow that's I've, I've literally like just felt this story i actually kind of forgot what i was going to say i think the reason <laughs> you cried at the ending of star is born is because you realize that you too are a star oh that's that it. needs that's to be born <laughs> Gaga ignited your yeah, passion. Absolutely, yeah. And also the fact that um, my my brother's a music artist, and so that that whole journey that we were taken on in the movie is kind of like his journey. Also, mm. it's like, um, yeah, was, I was I was basically like um, Bradley Cooper in the movie mm -hmm. for my brother. Oh wow! Yeah, so was, that's also the emotional aspect that yeah. made me cry as well because I could see him in Lady Gaga. Anyway, I digress. Um, uh, <laughs> there's always one certain scene in movies that make me cry. And it is the scene where the father walks the bride down the aisle at the wedding. Mm. It's so specific. It yeah. could be like the worst movie ever. And then that scene happens. And I just have this automatic like response and my eyes cry. I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> like, <laughs> this is odd. <laughs> Do you have a specific? No, I don't actually. It's only when, when it's very close to home, mm. like when I see myself in that character and I know that I'm, a, I'm capable of achieving as much as they are, yeah. that's when I cry. So you're Bradley Cooper. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It's also interesting that you cry when the father's walking the, the daughter down the aisle. I know. I've thought about this. I've tried to get very all like therapy md on myself you know <laughs> like google what the hell that means and i think it's just i love my dad i think that's it mm. yeah yeah mm. so what what the what impact do you think your father's had on you 
in your life? Um, I mean, loads. Mm. He is a very great man. You know, he he's achieved so much in his life. He also um, uh, had my brother and I quite late in life. He had us in his 50s. Oh. Yeah. And so my dad is 78 this year. Wow. That's quite old for a, for a yeah. father. That's like grandparent age, but yeah. he's my father. Yeah. And he was born 1943. So he was born two years before the war ended in Germany. So his experience of growing up in post-war poverty Germany, his father died in the war. He was like the eldest son. His mother had depression. It was like, it's, it's, it's a real like heavy uh, childhood and he yet succeeded and built such an amazing life for himself. He, you know, he opened a travel company and at one point in the world published the biggest volume and library of travel guides to the world. You oh. know, he did that. Not a yeah. lot of people mm. have these type of stories. So his impact on me is just, it's incredible. So he encouraged you from day one to just go for what, whatever you want to do in life. Absolutely. Super encouraging parents. Um, very supportive of me just doing my own thing. They had a very hands-off approach, mm -hmm. but it was always peppered with the, whatever you decide to do, you make sure you, you do great. Mm. You know, it's the overachiever complex. It's mm. the perfectionist and that kicks up in, in moments of, of work or delivering. It's, it's whatever you do, do whatever you want, but make sure that you are great at it. And of course that it makes you happy, but make sure you're great. Yeah. So your parents held you to a higher standard than throughout your childhood. I reckon. Yeah. I reckon even if they they didn't intend to, that was their um, that was their love language, mm. right? Do mm. good, be good. We want you to do good, be good. Um, but I think that this is a tale that's you know told throughout a lot of households that well, number one, Asian households. That's definitely part of our culture. Mm. Um, and two, maybe pa your parents were also very high achievers and that was something passed down to you. So, yeah. Mm. Let's talk about body image real quick because you are a model mm -hmm. and I know that's a massive thing in that industry is body image, especially for women, right? Because obviously you've got male models too, but for women, it's like, how do I look? Mm. And what was that like being in that world and being so conscious about how you look? Because you get validated from how you look. Yeah. Let me tell you, models are one of the most insecure people in the world because of that reason. It can be very toxic if you do not have a strong sense of self and can get wrapped up in that world. Um, fortunately, I think that I was lucky enough to be of the generation of modeling where change started to happen. Instagram, social media really um, propelled the change that the consumer wanted to see in representation, right? Mm -hmm. We asked for more body types. We asked for different skin tones. And in the last 10 years, because of social media, brands have had to listen and conform. And now we're seeing all sorts of Benetton ads across the world, right? Mm. Um, uh, but when I started, I was sort of at that cusp of that old traditional sense um, and then I witnessed and was part of it when it changed. So I, I think that I was quite fortunate that I didn't get too wrapped up in it because I caught the wave of more representation. But at the beginning, it definitely did get to me on some days. And of course it would. You know, I was a young, impressionable girl. Yeah. How do you deal with it now, though? Um, I educated myself on sports science, body science, like nutrition, yeah. my hormones. Um I just learned the facts of how my body worked. 
and I learned very deeply about nutrition. And once I changed my relationship with food and noticed that it's not like, you know, you don't eat to be full, you eat to nourish yourself. Mm. It changed everything for me. Once mm. I started lifting weights and started to realize what my body is capable of doing as a machine, as a tool, it changed everything for me because I was changing my mindset of this is what my body looks like to this is what my body can do. Mm. And it was the healthiest thing I've ever done for myself. Yeah. So learning about nutrition mm -hmm. as a model mm. helped you mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and changing your relationship with food. Changed my relationship with food, learning about my hormones, changed my relationship with mm. my mental health and my physical health and weightlifting, yep. powerlifting changed so much for me as well. Um, with both mental health and, and physical image health and everything. Yeah. So what, what were the, when you think about it now, when you, when you started that, when you think back to it, what were the things that, I mean, I know you mentioned what you did, but how did that actually affect how you thought about what you did? Oh, you never saw your image as good. Um, you would, I mean, for me, it would, it would come, it would come up in like, nitpicking small things like look at the size of my arm look at me when I stand sideways any excuse my um, inner critic had to pick apart my body it would it would go hard um yeah and it was a really it, it got to points where it was really dark but fortunately I had other things going in my life um a good support system uh, that stopped me from going completely into the negative thoughts around body image. Mm. Mm. Yeah, because it can get quite depressing, right? If your whole, your whole life is predicated on how you look. Mm -hmm. And I would be lying if I said that that's not solved yet. I mean, there are still moments where I would see a picture of myself and like that inner critic will come and try and make a mean comment. But the difference is now that I catch it and mm. I know better. Yeah. Yeah. It's like me too. I, I mean, <laughs> in the fitness space, I, I do that too. Like I post a picture, I'm like, ah, no, nah, I should have sucked my belly in a bit more. <laughs> you know, right? Like stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. But now we know better, right? right but right. the voice doesn't really stop, huh? It just, no, you just, it doesn't stop. Your voice gets stronger. Yes. I think that's it. Yeah, exactly. And you know, learn how to deal with it better too. Mm -hmm. So you don't judge, you don't judge it when the voice comes up. It's like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, I had a cake that day or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Another thing that used to fuck with me in the modeling industry was that they would Photoshop me all the time. When you're doing editorials, that's just what they did, right? Yeah. And I would get to points where I would do a shoot and I would feel good about it. And then I'd wait for the magazine to come out and I would not even recognize the version of myself staring back at me. Mm. And that can really fuck with a young girl's head because it's like, you weren't good enough. We had to change you. Mm. Yeah. You know? Right. And you get so used to seeing yourself through other people's perception, through this Photoshop lens, that suddenly your true image of yourself in the mirror starts to get very warped because you're like, obviously I'm not good enough. And you start to truly, you can start to truly believe that message. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very damaging story, right? It's like, obviously I'm not good enough because... If I was, they wouldn't have they wouldn't edited need, my photo. Yeah. They would lighten my skin. Yeah. They, I mean, that's the Asian beauty standard back then as well. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. They would make me fair. They would make me skinnier, which was really, I was like, I was so thin. I was, I had the 19 year old girl metabolism and I was, mm. you know, the athletic body type that I am. I was already thin. And yet they would Photoshop me even more. 
They would make my face skinnier. It was very weird. They once photoshopped my nose. I was like, why would you? That's the last thing that I'm thinking about that needs changing. <laughs> it was so weird. Um, yeah, I guess you also then need to have a good acceptance that it's not me, it's them. Mm. Yeah. But in the in the modeling industry, what you just touched on there is that the, I've met so many women in my life who say that they want to lose weight mm. and they're already slim. And I think, I, d- I can't help but think it's a disease of thinking to think that mm-hmm. you're already you're already skinny, but you want to be even more skinny. Oh, yeah. Just so you can be accepted by, by who? Yeah, yeah. It's because they're told that that is what beauty is. And it, it's just, it, it can get so toxic. That whole Pandora's box of talking about society's standards of women's beauty and how it's perceived back then when I was modeling in the magazines and editorial and how it's not translated, but gotten even worse now on Instagram, that Pandora's box is so deep, dude. Mm. It it can go on forever. Yeah, and actually, as we were saying this, one of the things that Emile's mom, she's a psychologist, she said, um, we live in the land of not enough. We live in the world of not enough. Mm -hmm. So like Instagram is literally like the world of not enough. Mm. And we see all these people that have been photoshopped and we think it's real. And the the, the sad thing is all these models that are coming up in the space, they think that that's the, the, that's the, the bar, right? It's like, I need to look like her, but she, that doesn't, that's not how she looks. That's not even how she looks like. (laughs) Exactly. It's so messed up. Do you talk about this on your podcast? All the time. Yeah. But I also talk about how I have days where I hate my body because mm. we're we, women or man, we all go through those days. Mm. I talk about the days where I stand sideways and I literally look like I'm four months pregnant. And then I, got <laughs> and then I need to remind myself that my period is coming and I'm water retained. It's just, I talk so openly mm. about my body image perception and and society's perception mm. that to be honest, my listeners probably are like, we get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's something that needs to be continuously repeated. Yeah. How did you learn to accept yourself? I wouldn't, well, I'd start by saying that I'm not a hundred percent there. Yes. Um, but there's so many ways that, that I, there's so many um, tools that I've picked up in my own journey. Like I said before, educating myself on my body itself female health, sexual health, you know, it's crazy the um, imbalance of female health education passed on to women versus other types of general like uh, health information Mm -hmm. that the world has given. And women don't know enough about their bodies Mm. as we should. And that's something that I've, I've deeply discussed and explored in my podcast. I talked to so many types of professionals about this topic because once women or men, um, learn about their bodies, so much shame and, uh, misconceptions get lifted because you start to understand that we're like we're beings, we're animals. There are reasons and reactions to why we are the way we are. And it's got nothing to do with your value. Yeah. Mm. So learning about my body was one of the greatest things that I did. Going to therapy, switched it up for me big time. And then just inviting so much self-compassion into my life. That, yeah, absolute game changer. Mm. 
Wow, you, you, so, okay, there's so many things that I know, you so, I'm sorry, I just totally, like, TV <laughs> presentered you. I just, like, threw everything out at you. <laughs> I'm trying to catch them I know, all. I know. <laughs> um, so, how did understanding and learning about your hormones help you perform better and understand yourself better? Like, how did that help you? Okay, so, ladies and men who have a woman in your life, Women are, honestly, it sucks to admit, but we are essentially run by our hormones. Emotional, our thoughts, everything is connected to these chemicals in our body. And once we understand that, we stop blaming ourselves and understand that it's not us. It's just our body is doing what they do, our, the chemicals in our body. So much confusion, inner critique gets lifted because you stop blaming yourself. So many of us blame ourselves for the way we are. We internalize all the negativity. But once we realize that it's not 100% us in that sense, that blame lifts. And then you start to feel better about yourself and you start to have more compassion. And yeah. So when you're talking about this, something comes to mind. So a week before the woman's period, mm -hmm. she starts getting a bit She goes through her antsy, PMS. Yeah. PMS, craving chocolate, getting really aggressive. Not, not aggressive, but... You know snappy. What I mean? Snappy. Yeah. yeah, that's what I was looking for. Yeah. Yeah, it's literally because of the hormones in our body coursing through our veins, making us feel sometimes like we're crazy. Mm. And then, but we're not. It's not us. It's our hormones. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking to a, a, a woman recently and she, she didn't realize that cravings before her period is normal. See what I mean? Yeah. So many women honestly don't realize this. Yeah. They don't realize that the reason that they're cranky up to 10 days, it's not even five days, it can be up to 10 days before your cycle starts, um, is caused by the hormones of your body. Can you imagine going through life where you don't trust your emotions because you feel like you're crazy because things piss you off irrationally? Mm. Like that's a very sticky and tense existence to go through that and internalize that and to think that that's who you are, mm. you know? And, and the, the, the root of that is all just because of a lack of knowledge. Education, lack of, lack education. of knowledge. Yeah. And it even comes down to the schooling system. I've mm -hmm. done a, a lot of pieces on this on the podcast yeah. where we do talk to the, we get lots of polls, we get people to write in their experiences. And yeah, the amount of education of female sexual health passed on to younger generations and my generation was not enough. So... Mm. Yeah, it's the best thing you can do to support the woman in your life is to learn about her cycle. Mm. Are you hearing that, fellas? Yeah, <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> yeah, and so what about the, the full moon? Do you know anything about that? The cycle correlating with the full moon and all that stuff? Uh, I've looked into it. Yeah. And, okay, so it's like the times that it does sync up is, is purely... Um, uh, what's it called? Uh, when it it's a synchronicity, but it it doesn't have to do, really do with each other. As in the as in like if you look at a oh my god I can't use my words right now. When you look at a calendar of a woman's cycle and then the calendar of a full moon cycle, there is bound to be a moment during the year where they are both full at the same time. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean that they are directly linked. Not yeah. in that scientific sense. In in a yeah. conscious and spiritual sense, that's a whole different page. But in a in a literal like science sense, I I don't think that they are mm, okay. directly correlated. Fair. So um, that's clearly one of your passions is empowering women. Mm -hmm. It's what you do with your podcast, right? Yeah. 
So is it solely for that or what other things do you do on your podcast? What other thing, topics do you talk about? Relationships? Uh, we talk about relationships. We talk about personal finance. We talk about the ins and outs of adulting. It's probably the most millennial word out there, adulting. Um, but we just get so open, honest, and real about our experiences because I think the world needs more of that. Mm. I think we're all over this curated, photoshopped, perfect lifestyle that's all over our phones and screens yeah. that the world just needs more people just being people mm. yeah <laughs> so true just being authentic just right? being real it's being real mm. and so do you think you're going to be continuing the podcast for the foreseeable future or i think so i think so we're definitely going to be continuing over the next year we'll be doing more of the same topics sexual health female empowerment um life experiences interesting guests yeah Mm. that's cool because i think women need to hear this stuff like you've been in that world so you know firsthand mm -hmm. how important your message that you're sharing is and that's probably where you it, the inspiration comes from right seeing all of this stuff yeah it's sort of wishing someone said it to me mm. yeah yeah and so um with the acting you start in this 10 10 week web series right mm -hmm. called chloe mm -hmm. and I was just uh, researching it. I was like, wow, this looks pretty cool. And you were playing- Segway into you, Chloe. Sorry? <laughs> a little segue into to Chloe, the show. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I see what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> She's taking notes. <laughs> um, and you were the lead actress. Mm -hmm. So was that your biggest gig in as an actress? Yes, that is, mm. um, yeah, the commitment. It was a 10 episode series mm -hmm. and I was the main character. So yeah. Mm. So how, so give us a little backstory of the synopsis of what that show's about. So it's pretty ironic because it's coming off the topic of social media that mm -hmm. we were just discussing, but my character is a social media influencer called Chloe, yeah. who is also a psychopath and serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> so you played a So I played Chloe. <laughs> I played the psychopath. Yeah. <laughs> how how did you get into character? Like what, what? Like yeah, how did you do that? That's hard. I didn't need to. No. <laughs> <laughs> um. So you, okay, I know you've done acting classes, right? Yeah. And the thing about acting is that there are so many types of methods, right? Mm -hmm. But the way that I learned and I do my acting is that I play elements of myself mm -hmm. up. I'm not the type of actor, actress that steps into a whole new role. The characters I play are versions of myself. So I guess it's sort of putting myself in, well, I did do a lot of research on psychopaths firstly, but then just kind of going with my instinct to how I felt like she would be, yeah. So do you feel like it was quite natural for you to- To, to play a psychopath? Up? Yeah, to play a psychopath. In a fucked up way, yes. <laughs> <laughs> everyone was like, you're so good at playing crazy. I'm like, haha, playing. <laughs> yeah. Do you, so, cause I've done acting a little bit. I started in the movie last year here mm -hmm. in Bali. I'm, I'm curious, do you think the reason why it was quite easy for you to play a psychopath was because maybe there's a part of you that you didn't access before that maybe is deep in your subconscious that is wanting to 
to be that person? Yeah, sure. Mm. Um, and actually, when I reflect on it now, it's sort of like that mean girl, my inner critic, the one that doesn't shut up about all the things that can be wrong about me. It's almost like she was personified mm. through this character. Right. Yeah. It's like you've given, given that person, that voice of... Uh, a role, a face now. Uh, exactly, yeah. yeah. And now you just, everything you've wanted to say that you haven't said, you can just channel it into this character. That nasty-ass killing version of myself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she got to come through. Yeah, yeah. And it's fascinating with the acting. It's like we all have, like we all are everything, right? So, for example, you judge someone for being aggressive or whatever. Like we are also aggressive. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of times myself like i've suppressed certain emotions or feelings because I'm, I'm there's no way i'm like that you know maybe i'm not like that but i do have the capacity to be for example aggressive mm -hmm. and it's like for you for example we all have, like psychopath we all have those capabilities so some people watching are like oh, i'm not a psychopath but that's you that's them uh you know basically suppressing that part of themselves we have a tendency to be a psychopath we all have yeah. the capacity and and definite ability to be as psychopathic sociopathic as we know how mm. it's just fucking normal mm. we all have an evil side and a mean side we hear it in our voices some of us are better at shutting those voices off or some of us spend all day trying to ignore the voices but it's just it's just part of it isn't mm. it yeah yeah so was acting for you because you went modeling presenting and then acting right mm -hmm. so was acting just the next step or was was that something you've always wanted to do or was that just oh yeah i'll try it i've always wanted to to get into acting uh -huh. for sure yeah yeah uh-huh and how do you think acting has changed you as a person acting for me Oh, it's the best way to stop taking yourself so seriously, mm. right? You've experienced it. It's like a giant play session. You get into, I don't know what it is, you are doing it in the studio, on set, in a theater, wherever the space is for you to perform in that sense. Ego is out the door. Shame, you know, pride is out the door. And you just have fun and be weird and just be okay with that. It's like cathartic, don't you think? Um, yeah, I think for me, acting is, I love improv the, mm -hmm. the, the most, like, because again, like you said, like being creative and just being playful, but sometimes you have to play a serious character and that's kind of weird, <laughs> but like for me, because I'm always like the opposite, right? Yeah. Um, like here in, here in Bali, there's uh, Felix, he, he does the acting classes here and at the start of the class, we have to walk around in a circle and we have to look at each other and he's like, all right, look, just take off. The, the person that you normally are in your normal life, just delete that person and look at the person with a blank face. Mm. And I found that really fucking hard. I was like, yeah. why am I smiling? Yeah. Like, that's just my default state. That's just, I, I associate smiling with Aaron Darko. That's, mm -hmm. that's who I am. Mm. But then he told, he told us to not be ourselves, And it was really hard for me. And I was like, wow, damn, like this is, this is not so easy, but it's, it's, it's beneficial. Yeah. It's so interesting to, to put, to leave yourself at the door. Mm, right. And yeah. that, yeah, that's it. That's what acting does. It, it, cause when you leave yourself at the door, you take a step out of who you are every day. And, and then when you do that, you realize maybe, oh, maybe I take myself too seriously, or maybe I should 
maybe be a bit more serious. You, you kind of get that comparison to reflect on who you are. And, and I think it's healthy. Mm. Yeah. You know, the biggest thing that I learned from acting, I know you didn't ask me a question. But mm. No, no, go, go <laughs> off. Yeah. The biggest thing I learned from acting is, uh, is how I perceive myself, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it's like, wow. I'm, no, how I'm perceived. Sorry. Mm. How I'm perceived. Mm-hmm. Cause that's a lesson that, I didn't know before. Like we do the Meisner technique. Oh yeah. And then people will be like, you're, you're, you're serious or whatever. They'd they judge some emotion in myself. Right. And they'd be like, Oh, one guy said, um, you're lifeless. Oh. Cause I was just looking straight at him and then my eyes wasn't budging. Like I would, I just didn't have any emotion. And I was like, Oh, like I'm he, capable of that. He said, I'm lifeless. Yeah fuck, am I lifeless? (laughs) And I started questioning that and then just accepting that, yeah, at times I can be. Yeah. And that's really the bottom line, right? Yeah. Rather than going away and just judging it and, and weeping to myself that he said I'm lifeless. (laughs) Also rude, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) But in Meisner, nothing's rude because that's what it's the impulse. That's what they say. You've done Meisner. I've done Meisner. Yeah. Yeah. I like Meisner. Yeah. Yeah. What is Meisner in your words for the audience to Meisner to me is um it's like it's like tennis. do you get what I mean by that? Yeah, it's like tennis. It's it's very much about trusting and it's very much about letting go of control. Um, in other words, it's, it's not about you, almost. I think that's what Meisner taught me. Meisner is like responding to the situation at hand, not trying to control the situation, mm. which is a very valuable thing to take away into everyday life, right? Yeah. yeah. So I could do it right now and be like, you're smiling. And I could be like, you're... No, oh. you have to get to... What do you say? No, I was trying to remember the technique. You're smiling and it's like... You, you repeat it. Yeah, you're smiling. No, no, no. You say, I'm smiling. I'm smiling. You're smiling. I'm smiling? You're laughing. I'm laughing. You're laughing. I'm laughing. You're serious. Your podcast listeners are like, what the <laughs> fuck is so, going on in there? <laughs> so basically, if you're watching this, whatever emotions she's presenting to me, I have to, my impulse is to whatever that I feel when her facial expression changes or her emotion, like I can see her emotions change. I have to uh, basically vocalize it. Yeah. I have to notice it. So it helps you actually understand emotions more as well. Because sometimes I was like, I kept on saying the same thing, but they were presenting a different emotion. So I was like, oh, what emotion are they presenting to me right now? So it actually helps you become more emotionally intelligent as well. Which for is sure, really cool. for sure. That's what acting is, right? It's just all about emotions. Yeah. And you know what? To bring it back to Chloe, um, sociopathy is also all acting. Mm. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Kind of took a dark twist with our conversation, but it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Oh, that's what I was going to say. I think that acting... Everyone is acting, like, but most people don't know it because mm. that's, that's why. Because when you're doing improv stuff, like you got to act out a scene. Like for example, we had we had a scene where um, I'm the barber and I'm tr- cutting the hair of uh, the wife, right? And then the the husband walks in just as I finish, and I've t- got the mirror. I'm like, I've given her the worst haircut of her entire life. And this is the scene. This is the improv scene. And I'm the, the barber. So I'm like, oh, it's just finished now. And then she's in the chair. And he's like, he's like, action. And then 
I'm like, it's finished. And she's like, oh my God, <laughs> what have you done to my hair? And then the husband walks in, he's like, what have you done? And I go and start acting straight away. Yeah. I'm like, fuck, what? I'm like overwhelmed. Like, cause she, she's uh, acted in the New York, what's it called, acting school or something. Oh, so she came hard. She, she was like. So convincing. I don't know, it was kind of like, what's a famous female actress? Real Meryl Streep, obviously the big goat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was like acting with her on set. And I, I just got out of character. I just started laughing. <laughs> I just yeah. burst out laughing because I was like, fuck, that's too much for me to handle. Yeah. You got thrown in with the big boys in yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever had some a similar experience on set where you're like, wow, this is this person's acting is yeah, amazing? Yeah, yeah, I have actually. Um, this was maybe five years ago and I played um, a cop in a uh, web series in Singapore. And the actress we were in the interrogation room so it's very serious you know and it's like good cop bad cop and my acting my castmate and i were the good cops on one side of the table and she was the perp on the other side and i didn't expect her to break down and she was crying and i was like trying to stay in character but in my head i was like is she okay? <laughs> oh my God, are you okay? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so did you break character at all? No, or no, stayed, no. You managed to help I, together? I managed to stay together. Yeah. Um, and I had to stop myself from breaking character to look at her to be like, are you okay? <laughs> but her acting was that good. It was that, that good, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what, what are the takeaways for anyone watching who's curious about act? Well, actually not, not curious, but who wants to become a better actress or actor? What, what, are your take, what are your tips for them? Oh, go to classes. I think um, this sort of craft can benefits from learning and being around other types of people with this energy that just want to explore themselves. Um, yeah, I think, I think put yourself around people who have the same goal. Because the thing with acting and being creative or being an artist in that sense is because you're so open-minded. You're so just ready for new things to challenge your, your creativity that you need to be around that type of energy. You know, mm. it's like if you're a very open person and you talk to someone who's maybe not as open, it can block you and that could block your craft. So be around that. Yeah. Mm surrounding yourself with the fellow actors exactly mm. follow the thespians <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, it's surrounding yourself with the right people is is one of the biggest things that helped you in your career too right yeah take yeah. yourself out of what you're used to and put yourself around people who don't care too much about what they look like or how they sound and mm. and it, it can change your whole day Mm. what about the team like because for you when you were doing all of this acting modeling presenting and you're still still doing it now um what how important is your team to your performance oh very important mm. professionalism is everything because mm -hmm. um, you never want to feel judged especially when you're so vulnerable if you're the actress there were scenes that i've done where i'm breaking down or I'm screaming and I'm really having like a meltdown and the director will tell everyone on set, no one talked to her except for me and the assistant director. Today, no one else talked to her, okay? And 
that's professionalism. It's nothing personal. It, that's just work. Because if you come to me when I have to get into the zone of my breakdown or whatever uh, method I'm going to use to get there, I need to kind of isolate myself with my emotions. My energy is very, very sensitive. I have to create like an orb around me to stay in the zone too. So yeah, the people around you matter. That professionalism, that respect, respect is a big one. Respect to your craft is very important. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. So you, you have to be isolated from people to get in the zone. Yeah, that's my your, that's my method. I right. actually meditate before I right. before I get into a zone. Oh. Mm. Yeah, I saw I saw a clip from behind the scenes of Leonardo Leonardo DiCaprio on the movie Wolf of Wall Street. I think I saw that clip. You probably did because yeah. I think Emil, I think it was Emil that shared it with me. I don't I'm not sure, but it was he was just standing there in the in the office, and all the people were behind him, all the extras. And um, it was literally a few seconds before the scene started rolling, and he was just he was just like locked in on something on the floor or something. He's just like, and then the director yelled action, and he's and he just went into character. Incredible, yeah, yeah. I've seen that clip. Yeah, mm-hmm. is that kind of like what you're what you what you do as well? Oh well, I mean, if you're gonna compare me with Leonardo DiCaprio, yes and no, yes mm-hmm. and no. I mean, I I have a method. For me, my method is meditation. Um, Because when I'm calm, that's when I can let my emotions come through. And yeah, there are other actresses and actors who can literally turn it on like that. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So when you say meditation, are you doing like a minute or how long is it? Um, Enough to get my breathing centered. Mm. So you're not even timing it. It's just you feel it when you're ready. Yeah. Until my body is calm, then I'm ready. Mm. And you do that before every scene or just the big scenes? Uh, The big scenes. Mm -hmm. I'll even do it right there and then on the set. I've done that. I've literally had to call a timeout. I was getting a bit overwhelmed. It was a long shoot. It was an overnight shoot. We actually were filming on a rooftop. And um, this was a fight scene and also a crying scene for me. It was a lot of a lot. Um, and we had to stop production halfway because there was a thunderstorm, a lightning storm, and we were on a roof with all the equipment, with sound guys, with, you know, big metal poles, basically what you don't want to be during a lightning storm. (laughs) So we had to pause the production for two hours for the storm to pass and come back on set. And at that time it was 4am. We were behind schedule. I had a very big scene to deliver and I have no problem just in the middle, right before we film, I'm, my energy is not right. Um, I just had to stop literally get on the floor into like a seated like lotus pose and just meditate until I was ready (laughs) there were like 90 people on set staring at me like what the fuck is she doing (laughs) but I'm like this is what I need to do to do to do my job Mm. there's a lot of energy I need to center myself Mm. yeah so you're not you're 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 so focused on being professional and being good at what you do Mm -hmm. so you're willing to to do that because your well-being is the most important thing for you 100%. delivering a performance that is good enough mm-hmm. in your in your eyes. Yeah. Yeah. So your your focus on, you know, understanding your hormones, changing relationship with food, all these things contribute to your well-being which helps you perform better. 100%. Cuz there's a lot of people so I experienced this not what you're saying but um, with with my health coaching clients, a lot of them are entrepreneurs and they don't see well, they didn't before they hired me, but they most people, most entrepreneurs don't see the link between 
their performance and their well-being. Mm. Like they don't, they can't link it. They're like, oh, I just need to work. Or like I wake up, I just need to go to work. Like, oh, why is this? And they're so frustrated, so anxious, and they don't have any uh, self-care practice. Mm. So your self-care practice is the most important thing mm -hmm. that helps you with your job. Is that 100%. correct? 100%. Yeah. It's weird, right? There's so many of uh, people that we know that don't, that don't take a minute to pause to consider that their body is everything. Like your mindset, everything comes from your health. And, and they just power on, fueled on coffee and, I don't know, some pursuit of what they think they're chasing without actually caring for the only thing that will get them there, which is their body. Mm. Yeah. But in a, as a model, as a presenter, as an actress, my body is my tool. I mean, it's the same with you in fitness, right? We don't have another layer of something that is our work and us. Other people have, I don't know, whether it's an online job, whether it's teaching, they have something that's not them that is their bread and butter, but we are our own bread and butter. So we've got to look after that. Mm. Mm. And have you seen people burn out in your, in your industry because mm -hmm. they haven't done that? They haven't taken care of themselves? Yes. Yeah. Any industry. Yeah. Mm. The people that powering through their day on four cups of coffee, Red Bulls, mm -hmm. not exercising. Not sleeping. Not sleeping. <laughs> not checking in with themselves, really. Mm. So what's, uh, what's your routine like? Do you have a morning routine? That you do? Um, Monday to Thursday. By Friday, I give up. That's <laughs> 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 the truth. Yeah. I'm very ambitious from mm -hmm. Monday to Thursday. And then it's Friday. Oh, it's whatever. <laughs> um, just hydrate and move. Yeah. Well, where does meditation come in? Do you do that every day or? No. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, Monday through Friday. Monday through Thursday. I meditate after I do a yoga flow. Mm -hmm. Once a month. I don't know. <laughs> I wish I meditated more, but I, I, I don't have that practice right now. Right. Okay. Yeah. How about the gym? How many times do you work out per week? Usually four times a week. Oh. Yeah. And and it's all the same kind of workouts. Is it like, uh, what are you saying? Powerlifting. Yeah. It's it's strength training mainly. Uh -huh. It's conditioning. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what made you shift your workouts? Because before maybe you were doing cardio mostly or were you working out at all before? I was doing HIIT. Okay. I was doing a lot of HIIT. Um, but I wanted to change my body. Mm. And so my ex-boyfriend introduced me to weight lifting and then I did CrossFit for like three years. Mm -hmm. And I was in like the best shape of my life during CrossFit. And I was also really uh overachiever at that stage i was very busy with work i was acting and so i was doing it all i was like counting macros i was cross training i was fasting all this um so i did it and i can do it but i don't feel like i need to do this right now for mm. myself and i'm just enjoying my life yeah that's cool mm. so what are the self-care other self-care things that you do for yourself to keep you on on your game Mm. I journal. Mm. I'm a big journaler. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. 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 Every day? Maybe like once every 10 days. Mm. Yeah. 
Whenever you feel like you need to download stuff on on paper. Yeah, but you know what I need to do? I realized when I looked back at my journal um, a year ago that my journal entries were the most depressing thing ever because for some reason I only wrote in my diary when I was sad and I needed to let something out. So I actually told myself to start writing when I'm happy mm. so that when I look back in my life, I'm like, oh, that's so, so much suffering. That's I wanna, so interesting. Yeah, yeah, I never thought about that. Think about <laughs> it. We're always, <laughs> yeah. we're always journaling when we're going through something heavy. That's true. And then we read yeah. back and we're like, why am I such a fucking emo? Like, mm, yeah. <laughs> I actually have a really happy life. Mm. So I'm, I started to journal when I was really happy. Mm. Yeah. Well, I guess actually adding to that, I think I think the podcast that you have is a journal. Like for me, this is a, also a journal. 100%. That's actually one of the things what I like. Obviously, I like um, sharing and having guests like yourself on and stuff. But I also like the idea of, this is my journal. So let's say in 10 years from now, I could look back at where I was today mm -hmm. in 10 years, you know, yeah. and I look back at this and that's, that gives me happiness. You totally know? agree. It's yeah. like, I've read something really recently. Happiness is the memory of the moment, <gasps> you know? So it's like in 10 years, this moment will be even more important to you than it is now. Happiness is the memory of the moment. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I have another happiness quote. This okay, is what my dad always told me. Happiness is when you feel yourself grow. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Mm. We always want to grow. Actually, there's another quote that I, I have to ask you about because it's on your, your Facebook. Count your age by friends, not years. Count your life by smiles, not tears. That's John Lennon. A quote mm. from John Lennon. So I'm like, I posted that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yes, I shared this. What? <laughs> does that, does that ring a bell to you? Do you remember, do you remember that um, quote? Uh, I don't remember specifically when I shared it, but I do know the quote mm. and I still agree to it. What does that mean to you? It's like, it's um the optimism angle, right? It's, it's like focus on what you've done, what you've, what you've, like what you felt happiness and joy over and measure your life by those moments. Um, and it's just a beautiful way to look back at yourself, mm. right? Yeah. You're, you're big on uh, mental health. It's one of the things you talk about in your podcast. Yeah. So what things would you, what were the biggest things that you've had to overcome with your own mental health? Um... So the reason I'm passionate about openly speaking about mental health is as a public figure in mm -hmm. a place like Singapore, where um, because of our Asian cultures, we were not afforded the, uh, I wouldn't, how do I say this? We don't normally talk about our feelings openly, mm. right? Yep. Uh, so mental health is a problem when it's not talked about. And so I wanted to break that and be like, no, I wanna talk about my mental health. Um, yeah, and so just putting your shit out there and basically s sharing when it's shit and reminding myself and everyone else that that's okay. Mm. I think that's the very simple message that we need to hear more of anyway, Singapore or not, that it's going to be shit, but that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, mental health is so important. And what did, what did, did you have anything that you overcome, overcame? Um, I, I haven't had, um, like, I mean, obviously I've had moments of real sadness and yeah. real struggles like yeah. we all, but my inspiration of mental health really comes from a family member of mine who does struggle with mental health. 
and seeing what they go through and supporting them through their journey. And then realizing that what they're going through is so normal, but I don't see it anywhere else. I don't see the representation. I don't see the conversation in my community in Singapore. Um, yeah, so I felt like something needed to change and, and put ourselves out there and share our struggles more. Mm. You mentioned something um, I was I was reading about you, and you mentioned something that I want to bring up, which is it's so painful when you tell someone how much you believe in them, but they don't believe it for themselves. Mm-hmm. You, have you had that experience? Yeah, that's it. That's the whole bane <clears throat> of my mission to normalize more mental health in mm. in in my country. Um, because it's true when you see someone for all that they are and the beauty that they hold on the inside, whatever you do, you cannot convince someone to love themselves. And that's one of the hardest things I think that we will ever experience with people we love. Mm. Yeah. So then what's the solution then? Do you think? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. You tell me, how do we get the people that we love to recognize their own amazingness. I wish I had the answer. I had the answer. Okay, tell me. He's got to lead by example. Ah, uh, you know, yeah. and, and then they'll they'll follow the light eventually. The light will get so bright that they can't help but yeah see it. You know, it's maybe. Like, it's but like doesn't a, that put a lot of pressure on you? Because that that makes me feel like because I my whole story is um that I have to work through a lot in therapy is the responsibility of others because I feel responsible for people, um, which is linked to Me my too. family member, right? Yeah, my family <laughs> member, the person who struggles. I feel responsible for your struggle. Mm. So I have to learn to draw boundaries because that's just how it works, right? You have to learn to manage your life and then not feel so in- responsible for theirs, even though theirs might be burning. You know, it's, it's, you can't fix people in that sense. It's, you can't change people unless they want to be changed. So when you say, be the example, lead by example, sure. But to like, what degree does that affect you? You know, like, is there a limit to that too? Is there a limit to being, being leading by example? Yeah, isn't, because I feel what I hear, and I'm just saying this because I hear this laced with my own stories about the responsibility thing. When you say lead by example, I'm like, then I got to be great. Then I got to be perfect. Then I got to make sure that my leading is amazing. Mm. That sounds like pressure. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I can see what you're saying, and yeah, mm-hmm. it is it is pressure. Yeah, <laughs> but um, another way to look at it is just to do what you want to do, mm. and that's it, really. Live Even your own like, life. Sorry. Live your own life. Yeah, like that's it. This is what I want to do, right? Mm. Like this is how I want to spend this day interviewing you. So that is when I do things for me personally. When I do that then I'm in a better energy. Like you were talking about energy. Mm. I'm in a better energy when I'm doing that. And people can see that. Again, authenticity, right? People can see when a person is being authentic. Like you could tell straight away. Like you sat across from many famous people. You can tell when they're full of shit or when they're just being real. Mm -hmm. Like you don't need to read a book to figure that out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. For sure. Okay. I'm going to ponder on that. Maybe the reason that I hear that and it, it, and I make it mean something else is because of my own stories, but I, I can think about that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So now I'm glad you brought up therapy again, because, uh, how, how long have you been doing therapy for? Two and a half years. Whoa. 
and you've continued it, so it must be beneficial. Yes, I, <laughs> I, but I am not um, the. It's not the the therapy relationship where I go regularly. I go through stints, um, a four month stints, and then four month off, four months in, mm. four months off, because that's a lot of work. Mm. And I feel like I and my therapist recommends that we take time apart for me to integrate and then come back. Mm. Yeah, I like that idea because now you you're doing the work for four months and then you go live life and then you have more to uncover about yourself yeah you have more time to see if it worked yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> more or exactly. less yeah. yeah yeah so what were what were the you touched on the, that part of yourself where you were responsible for other people what else did you learn about yourself through therapy jesus christ <laughs> oh, all in the same episode <laughs> this is gonna be a long podcast Aaron. <laughs> i like to go deep oh uh, my god <laughs> What did I learn about myself in therapy? I have an uh, I have an unhealthy relationship with anger. Mm. Damn, that's me too. Yeah. Are you me? <laughs> 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 yeah, I have a bad. I had I had an unhealthy relationship with anger. Mm. Um, and honestly, that's one of the biggest things that I have to work through. Yeah responsibility for others because of the dynamic in my family mm. i ended up with that um uh, a relationship with anger and sadness mm. and openly expressing that because i had learned somewhere along my life that anger and sadness was a bad thing and that showing it meant weakness yep. also asking for help because i don't like feeling like a burden mm. so i need to learn how to be vulnerable and ask for help which yep. is funny because people are so willing to help Right. Mm. Like if someone asks me for help, I'll be like, yeah, sure. And yet if I need to ask someone for help, I like twiddle my thumbs. I'm like, how do I write the sentence to ask mm. for help? I don't know how. So those are the big ones. Yeah. And you're working on them now with your therapist or? Um, I, I uncovered them enough. Oh, I, I've uncovered them um, so clearly that I can't not work on them mm. in my everyday and you're clear on how they're affecting your life. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, that's a big one, right? Like mm. when you see the cost of like not voicing, not showing your anger and how that affects you. It's huge. It's huge. But the cost of that is it's, it's everything. It's heavy. I do a different type of therapy. I do this thing called um, somatic touch therapy. Mm -hmm. So the difference between this is that it's the, it's two hours and a bit long. The first hour is your traditional talk therapy where we take the issues that we need to pick apart and through the talk therapy, we sort of rise them to the surface. And then through somatic touch therapy, I am on a massage chair and my therapist supports my somatic, my body through um, touch. And then through the safety of her touch, I'm able to express the emotions that we talked about in talk therapy. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. It's, re it's a different approach, yeah. but it's what I love about this is because it integrates the importance of your um, body's ability and just body's um, intelligence around emotions. Mm. I think like until I learned about this technique, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put too much weight around what my body uh, retained emotionally. Um, but now it's my, our bodies hold more emotions than we be can begin to even think about. Right. Mm. Yeah. Do you feel lighter as a result of all of this work that you're doing with yourself? Yeah. With, the with your therapist? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You feel, you feel healthier, 
more clear-minded. I, I'm so much nicer to myself. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I think that's it. The self-compassion just, she's here now. She never used to be here as strong as it is. Mm. Yeah. That's powerful. Mm. What about the advice you would give to people um, about getting a therapist? Would you recommend everyone has a therapist or just a select few people who are going through shit or what do you think we about all that? need therapy Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> we're all fucked up <laughs> if you're perfect i don't want to know you straight up yeah, yeah i don't know anyone who doesn't need therapy mm. yeah so as you say that i think about so many guys that i know who would be like i don't need therapy you need it. And it, and I think this is the thing that so many of us got wrong about therapy for so long is that we thought that in order to go to therapy, it means that you must be going through something big. Mm. When actually therapy can benefit you even if you don't feel like you're going through anything. How so? Maybe, maybe we do a good job of convincing ourselves we're fine, you know, because mm. we've accepted things in our life and we've maybe compartmentalized them or shoved them down or we found coping skills where we're like, nah, this is just how I cope. I'm fine. I don't, I don't know. I don't think that all of us have it figured out like that. You know what? That actually brings up a point that I was, I was um, thinking about, which is most of us don't know how to feel properly. Mm. Right. So when you say that, oh, we're fine. It's like, no, how do you, how are you really? How are you feeling right now? I'm fine. That's not an emotion. <laughs> That's not. That's a mask. Yeah. yeah. And it's crazy when you talk about society because uh, I feel like society has numbed our ability to feel, mm. you know? So actually I was interviewing Mike Chang yesterday and he was talking about how um, in society we, we don't know how to feel because everything is about numbing like Netflix, uh, going out, drinking alcohol, like it's all numbing. It's all dopamine hits. And then we, we, we intellectualize way more than we, we don't feel, so we intellectualize. So we make goals up that are not our own. That's not what we really want. But because we don't know how to feel, we think that we want that goal. Yeah. You can resonate with that? 100%. Mm. This is what I mean. Like we all need therapy or some sort of healing or some sort of coaching or some sort of practice that allows us to have space to deal with the things that we push away. Mm. And we all do it. We all do it. Yeah. Mm. So uh, everyone watching, you need a therapist. <laughs> Go to therapy, babe. It's we so 2022. Just get on it. <laughs> it's so hot right now. <laughs> yeah, because there's so much, so, so much judgment around that word. I feel like if you if you mention that word to someone, they'd be like, oh, why do what? What's wrong with you? Like, yeah, they just assume that something's wrong with you because you're going to a therapist, yeah. and that automatically is, makes makes it mean for you, like, oh. Something's there is wrong something wrong with me. Wrong with me something's wrong with me, but not them, because they don't need a therapist, but I do. So therefore, something's wrong with me. All of us were raised by parents who were raised by their parents. You know what I mean by that? Mm -hmm. Our, like the, um, the generational gap between us and our parents' parents is not that big. It's only two generations. And two generations ago, like life was hard, man. They did not have it as easy and convenient as we did yeah. in the survival sense, in the Maslow's pyramid of mm -hmm. needs sense, right? Yeah. They really had to work for their food and, and fight and go to war. 
There's so much trauma that has happened to humans. You think that just two generations, it's going to solve that? No, mm. right? Yeah. So we all need therapy because we're all products of deeply traumatized societies. Mm. <laughs> it's just part of it. It's just truth. Yeah. Yeah. So the next time your friend tells you to go to therapy, be like, yeah, man, I'm going to go. <laughs> do it, babe, do it. <laughs> <laughs> So let's talk real quick about personal branding because mm. that's something that you're really big on, mm-hmm. and um, you know you're 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 great at it. Like you're crushing it with personal branding, and there's a lot of people out there that want to develop a personal brand outside of your work, right? Outside of the the jobs that you've had and the, the movies that you've been in, the skits and stuff. How do you go about? How did you go about building your personal brand? Oh, um, know what you like. Yeah. And if you don't know what you like, at least figure out what you really don't like. And then I think it's just a canceling game after that. Just be clear. Like, don't be neutral, you know? Like, have an opinion. Do you like tomatoes? Yeah, they're okay. No. Do you like them or do you not like them? Mm. Okay. So you made a decision. Cool. Now you can make tomatoes as part of who your brand is, you know? Like, their personality. Have an opinion and, and you're gonna, your opinion can change, but don't be in the middle. There's nothing more annoying than people who are like, nah, okay, ah. I'm like, no, have an opinion. Right. Yeah, like what do you believe? <laughs> what do you like? What do you believe in? Who's, what kind of music are you into? What kind of music are you not into? What art lights you up? Just have an answer that's yes or no, you know? And then I think from there, if you start figuring that out, you can start to build on who you want to represent yourself as. Mm. That's really good advice. Thank you. Yeah, because that's something that I'm experiencing too. Like I experienced Mm. that already. Like Mm. you you get to a point where you're like, actually, these people just want to know what my take is. Like, for example, Aaron, what's your take on this? What's your take on this? Like, oh, they just want to know what I think about this thing that's already existing. It's just my perspective that they want. Yeah. Have an opinion. I mean, be open to the challenge. Be flexible for your opinion to change, for sure. Yeah. But have an opinion. Jesus. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) How boring is life to not have an opinion? Damn. Adding to that, a complaint that a lot of women tell me about men they date date is the men are exactly like that. They don't have an opinion. And they're like, oh, he just, he just, he just doesn't like any. Like, I don't know what he likes. He just, he just says yes to everything. Oh, <laughs> oh God, I have so much about that. that yes, men. Yeah, I don't want to get into it. I don't want to offend anyone with this opinion about why that is. So I'm just not gonna go there. Oh, funny. It's funny though, right? Like, um, I had a. My mom, she was dating this guy and he was a yes man and she was getting so triggered by him. Yeah. Because she was like, he just says yes to everything. (laughs) Yeah. It's not sexy. (laughs) It's not. Because as a woman, it makes you feel like you have to think for both of you. Mm. And women want to be looked after more or less, right? I mean, to varying degrees, but that's part of our femininity. Absolutely. We want to feel protected and look after not to be the decision maker and leader all the time. Yeah. yeah. Having two people like man and woman and they're both feminine, that don't work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have to take turns. There needs to be a polarity. Like, yeah. Either the man is feminine and the woman's masculine or the man is in his masculine and the woman's in her feminine. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't work any other way. No Otherwise way. Otherwise it's just buying heads. No way. And resentments and 
There's no attraction. Oh God, it, it's a relationship killer for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And and the interesting thing about that is if the guy doesn't want to, has a fear around saying what he believes or what he wants or all these kind of things, then he does need therapy because there's a reason why he he's fearful of that. Mm -hmm. If it's a trauma related thing, who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Point again, man, therapy, <laughs> like yeah. we all need it. Yeah. Therapy or coaching or healing, whatever it is to support you, to ha supporting you, supporting yourself. Huh? Mm. The work. Yeah. 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 So uh, let's talk about monetizing your personal brand. Like how did, how did you do it? Are you uh, willing to share like some tips? Yeah, for sure. People? Um, okay, so as an influencer, yes. you are clear about your brand and then it attracts brands that want to align with you mm -hmm. and you monetize by it through um, exposure. And yeah, it's it's one of the biggest um, industries right now. Mm. So you're saying, what the hell? Um, <laughs> printer's going the printer crazy. turned on. Um, Wait, since the printer interrupted us, I'm just going to take that water. No worries. What was that? You were going to ask me about monetizing? Oh, yeah. So with the, with the personal brand, you're just posting things. For example, let's say on your Instagram, you're posting things that are true to you. That's it? Yes. And that's your brand? Yes. Mm, I see. Yes. My brand is myself because I'm a presenter and I guess personality in, in commas. Mm. Um, so, yeah. It's, okay. Yeah. So you're just posting about like what, what you like doing in your life. What I believe in, my opinions, mm -hmm. everything we covered in this podcast. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's that simple. There's not any magic gold dust to it. So it's, I think it's a combination of things, right? It's like the willingness to put yourself out there on the internet and everything that comes with that, the fear of getting seen, the fear of being judged. You just got to do it anyway. You got to put yourself out there. And then... I mean, how else are you going to attract your tribe if you don't put yourself out there, right? Good point. So you put yourself out there on the internet and you be authentically yourself and you expose yourself through collaborations. You cross-collaborate with other people in your field or even not in your field that you're just interested in. And you do the, come on, let's feature each other on each other's platforms thing. Um, and then you be consistent with your content, but you keep it to a, a certain quality, mm -hmm. whether the quality is image quality. So you have really nice photos that can work or it's your content quality. The text below your photos actually impacts people, but make sure it's quality, right? Make sure it's not just a selfie with a blurred photo. Make sure it's good. Um, and then once you have that going and you have momentum, of course, there are many other ways to get yourself off the ground. There are so many hacks that social media uh, influencers use these days. I'm not going to get into it. But the next step after that would be to create a media kit where you basically bio yourself, you share what you're about, you share your statistics, and then you blast that baby out to all the brands and other uh, personalities that you want to work with. And you just keep putting yourself out there. And something will bite. Something will happen. Mm. Yeah. Nice tips. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. It's really clear, clear and concise for people. Yeah. So how do you deal with the judgment and the hate online? Because you must get that. Yeah. How do um, you deal with that? 
like there are some days where I'm just like, oh, fuck off. But then most of the time I'm like, damn, the type of person who really is picking apart people in the comment section on Instagram, they're a really sad person. Mm. And I'm not just saying that because they're a loser. I mean, like they're sad. Like if this is the thing that they need to happen in their life to feel something, that's just a sad situation. So I just feel sad for them. Mm. Yeah. That's a nice way, of, compassionate way of looking at it. Mm. It's like you, you understand their situation. Like yeah. Can you imagine? The only hit you get in the day is to try to piss people off online. Mm. Yikes. Yeah. So that's just a sign of the their life not, not going as good as they want it to go. So they have to project onto someone else. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. And you're not, you're not affected by that anymore. But you, you must have been at the start, of course. At the beginning, I actually found, found it quite funny. Oh, really? Because I was like, am I that triggering? <laughs> 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 yeah. That people need to do something about it? Wow, I must mm. be doing something right. This is funny to me because mm. um, I don't think I'm controversial. Um, but now I really am just like, trolls are trolls. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So we're coming to the a close, but there's one topic that we haven't covered and I want to touch on it real quick. I think you know what it is. No. <laughs> That's why you're smiling. <laughs> um, I'm just curious. How, how, is, how would you describe your relationship with your boyfriend? We're very playful, aren't mm. we? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you are. We're very playful. We are we're very similar, actually. Um, we share similar values. But the values that we don't, we contrast and compromise for each other. Um, I think we really balance each other out. And above all, we really just, we really like each other. Mm. Yeah. I guess we love each other. I don't know. <laughs> but we really dig each other. Yeah. Yeah. How do, you, how do you manage the long distance aspect? I struggle with the long distance because my primary love language is physical touch. Mm-hmm. Um. I guess the only thing I can do or do for long distance is to just stop focusing on it. Mm. So not make that my day, make my day my day. Yeah. Mm. I, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think about what, what I could ask you that's not too sensitive. <laughs> We're um, very playful. The, uh, this morning... I actually put him in a chokehold. <laughs> like I really went for it and I was squeezing and I'm like, you better tap out. I am that type of girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. I'm so annoying. <laughs> it's like that meme that you posted on the Instagram. <laughs> yeah, we're really like that. When I'm not with him, I miss him. But when I'm around him, I just want to annoy the <laughs> shit out of him. But it's fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm like, where did she learn that chokehold? I know, right? <laughs> I, I was like, damn, that was pretty good. So I actually briefly did a stint with 1FC. Mm-hmm. And for that day, oh, right. yeah, we, we, I, um, and I think something might happen in the year. We'll see, dot, dot, dot. Mm. I'd love well, to continue hosting for them. 1FC, by the way, is the... Basically, uh, how I describe it is the Asian UFC. It's the Asian UFC. Yeah. Yeah. 
um, it's a big, it's a big it's gig. A big deal, it's yeah. big. And you were yeah. the host for that. I hosted in something for them. Um, I couldn't go in the ring because of the pandemic. We had the social distancing uh-huh. issues, but um, I fingers crossed. We'll see. Touch wood. Yeah. I'd love to to graduate to sports broadcasting. Mm. So anyway, because of it, they put me through a um, BJJ boot camp. Mm. And my ex was really into BJJ, and yeah. the only move that I only that I really took away from it was the rare naked chokehold. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my move. <laughs> I will put you in a chokehold. <laughs> Better watch out. Better watch out. Yeah. <laughs> it was good because obviously I practiced jujitsu, and that was yeah. I was like, damn. Was some, she that, knew what to do. She's looking that in. Like, yeah. damn, he's sleeping in six yeah. seconds. <laughs> Yeah, I really went for it today. <laughs> so in closing, is there anything you would like to share with the audience that we haven't covered? Anything that you want people to know about you or just advice, general life advice? Mm, general life advice. Be careful who you idolize. Mm. I think that's a good piece of advice because these days with social media becoming almost like it's almost becoming like a temple, an online temple, right? Like fans for all sorts of personalities. Like you have fans for stuff that 10 years ago didn't exist. It's a weird, it's weird. People are starting to idolize, worship, or admire so many different types of personalities out there. And I guess just be careful where you put your energy towards in that sense. I mean, we are all, um, what's it called? Uh the word when when you look up to someone impressionable we're all impressionable to a degree mm-hmm. um so be careful who who you look up to because that person could be i mean and when i say this to women for example that chick that you adore on instagram could be photoshopping her photos it could not be real right and so be careful if you make that your standard because that's very dangerous mm. the the coach or the healer who is churning out all this advice that doesn't actually follow or embody what they're putting out there. That's disingenuine. Be careful to put your energy towards that. Mm. So I think that's that just like in this digital age where there's so many types of personalities popping up, don't just give your love and admiration to anybody like suss them out. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And what's next for you? What's next for Hanley? Um, well, more of the same. Mm-hmm. more of the same mission to empower women in my space in Singapore through just authentic expression um, and encouragement to learn about their bodies in a healthy way. Uh, more hosting, more modeling, maybe a clothing line. I'm hoping to get into NFTs this year. Ooh. Yeah, um, I'm hoping to get into property this year. So we'll mm-hmm. see. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Hanley, thank you very much for coming Yay. on the show. It was a great time. Uh, we got into some deep topics. That was so fun. That was very long. As well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I definitely wanted to get deep into it and um, just really, like you said at, at the start, you know, figure out who you are behind what you do because what you do is what you do, right? But that's not who you are. Mm. And so I want to get to know you on a deeper level. So thank you for coming on. And we'll link to your uh, social media and website in the comments. And I hope you enjoyed, and I will see you in the next one. Ciao. Bye. Great job. Yay, that was so fun.